Hey, this is Joe and TJ with the Schoolhouse 302, and we're here with our guest, Dr. Lillian Lowry, for an interview on our Hashtag One Thing series. Welcome to the podcast, Lillian. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Our Hashtag One Thing series is meant to provide listeners with an interview with a great leader on a topic, and then dive into some growth strategies with our five leadership questions. This Hashtag One Thing series is focused on building a culture of energy and enthusiasm. At the Schoolhouse 302, we're always trying to get to simple so that our listeners can lead better and grow faster. Our guest this month is Dr. Lowry, who is a distinguished leader within education. Dr. Lowry has an impressive and storied career in a variety of different roles that range from secondary school English teacher, which I share that background with her, building principal, Joe and I both share that, she was superintendent of schools, serving as education lead for two states, the Secretary of Education for Delaware and the state superintendent of schools for the Maryland State Board of Education. She currently is the vice president for pre-K to 12 policy for the Education Trust, I hope I'm saying that right, which is a national nonprofit advocacy organization that promotes high academic achievement for all students at all levels, particularly for students of color and low income students. On a personal note, both Joe and I have worked with Dr. Lowry in different capacities, and she served as Delaware Secretary of Education and have always been impressed with her transparency as a leader, her integrity, and truly her fierce desire to see that all students succeed. We're fortunate to have her on this episode of our Hashtag One Thing series. So Dr. Lowry, let's get started with our topic of building a culture of energy and enthusiasm. This is so important to us. If we could just ask you open-ended here to give us an example or an experience or a key ingredient that demonstrates how a leader can develop a culture with high energy, high enthusiasm, where the entire culture embraces that. Joe and I and our listeners are ready to learn from you. Thank you. And I will begin by saying that energized leadership has to have a cadre of good people surrounding it. And it was a pleasure and a privilege to work with you and Joe because an organization is only as good as its people. And uh, the role of the leader to that point is to define what the salient work is and why this particular scope of work is the right work. And in defining that scope of work, especially in schools, really has to be focused on two things. First, the data. And we ask ourselves, um, whom are we serving? What characteristics and lived experiences do they bring with them? You know, what are each student's um, area of strengths and areas of needed improvement. And then we drill down to what resources do we have to support them and how do we use these resources equitably? And when we talk about equity, we're not talking about equal. Um, and Delaware within its funding formula does have some weight uh, to students with special needs and others. So once we determine the people whom we are serving and we identify their lived experiences and what their needs are, um, we have to bring really smart, 
thoughtful, caring people around the table, the table to talk about, okay, so then what do we do? What does that mean? Um, and you had a blog on your website that I read as I was kind of perusing through. I think it was in August and it was, um, I think, entitled Motivating and Retaining Talented People. And so it's twofold because when you're hiring people, the blog talks about what do you do before you hire them? What do you do during the hiring process and after you hire them? And, and that's good when you're onboarding because when you're onboarding people, you can frame the vision and the mission and they come through the process with the mindset of what the work will be, what the expect, expectations are. The other piece of that are those who are already in the field doing the work and what we do to support them. And, and then um, you had two examples of pressure plus support equal growth. I think the two of you will attest to that, that that's who I am. I am very caring, I'm very nurturing, but I'm gonna pressure a little bit. I'm going to be a little disruptive, but the support has to be there when we're disrupting situations that we're pushing back on the status quo to get to that growth that you talk about. So the energy comes from the people and if we present as we do in the field with them so that they see that the leader isn't just sending out dictates, but he or she is going to be right there side by side doing everything that he or she's asking the people to do. That's where we get buy-in, that's where we get support. And I really do believe that's one of the reasons that Delaware is always at the forefront when people are talking about progressive states doing progressive work for students and educators. That's incredible, Lillian, thank you. Um, I wanna back up, you said something I think incredibly profound that people struggle with also. Um, when you said that you, know, you have to have this ability to be caring and nurturing, um, we agree, that is definitely your style, but you are disruptive. You do have very high expectations. Is that something you learned? Because I, I find that people struggle with balancing how to be caring and kind, but then also applying pressure, where I think we tend to find here at the schoolhouse through too, that that demonstration of applying pressure is actually us showing care, us loving not only the expectations of what we want to see out of kids, but what we want to see out of those that we hire. Is that something you learned or a skill set you grew? It's something that was at the forefront of your thinking. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Uh, is both and. Um, I come with a passion. I am a stereotypical um, student um, and, and some of these um, characteristics that people tend to lean toward, this child will not succeed. I'm um, Black, I'm female, I grew up in the segregated South, I was raised by a single mother, and um, but the, the promise of that neighborhood, those same characteristics were very supportive characteristics because in a segregated environment, my sister's principal lived to the right of us. My elementary school principal lived about four do doors up. Our doctors and um, dentists lived right in the neighborhood and we had role models everywhere and it was a village upbringing and it was in a community that expected the best out of every single one of us because they too had overcome what were characteristic traits that people could have said would really put them on another path and they excelled. So we saw that, we saw it could be done and they were paying it forward. Couple that with, I have worked with some amazing leaders. 
Um, I worked with Buzz Belaine, who was in Massachusetts and then came to Fairfax County, Virginia. And his mantra was keep the main thing the main thing. So I think the most salient answer to that question is I always focus on the child. That is my focus point. And I'm going to love everybody and take care of everybody around that child. But make no mistake, my major interest is what we're doing for these children every day. And what I can do to support you in that work, I'm going to do. I'll, I'll run in front of you and take whatever bullets are kind of sent our way. I think when people understand that I've never had ego around my work, I'm not into titles. I'm not into positional power. I'm into getting things done for kids. So it is both a lived experience and a, a result of strong mentors who believed in equity and equality. And if you would read the biographies of any of the people's names I may call during this um, particular interview, you will find out they were the same. Supportive, will be present with you, but push, 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 because we've got to make a difference in the lives of children. That's, that's incredible. And we couldn't agree more. Um, thank you for that, uh, Lillian. Let's dive in um, to our next set of, of questions. This is our um, five hashtag one thing series leadership questions. The first one is who was one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration, and where can we find them? So I believe most of your listeners will know this name. Dan Dominich um, was the um, superintendent who gave me my first principalship when he was in Fairfax County. Um, he came with an equity lens that probably I hadn't seen called out so intentionally. He created um, focus schools before they were in vogue um, through some of the work that I've done later in my career, where he did the equity funding um, and convinced an entire community um, to think about how we weighted the resources that we had to ensure that we were leveling the playing field for all of our kids as much as possible. Um, Dan is now the executive director of the American Association of School Administrators. So that is the organization to which all school superintendents belong. Um, and he is still a voice out there advocating for equity and providing leadership opportunities and professional growth for those who lead our schools. That's fantastic. AASA, we follow their work as well. So that's a that's a good place for people to go to get inspiration. So our, our second question is, what's the one thing that people should try to do, in your opinion, on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? So this goes back to one of your earlier questions about how do we uh, push and pull at the same time, nurture. Um, and it's very clear, let's listen to the people that we serve. And those educators who are in those classrooms with our children each day show up to do the best that they can. We've got to understand who they, they are. The same way we look at our children, that's the same way we have to look at educators. And sometimes they talk and it's kind of blowing in the wind. So as a leader, I have always been one to actually listen. And beyond listening, I make sure that I hear what I'm being told. For example, when we were rolling out the Common Core Standards, and at the same time, we were rolling out the evaluation system, um, the teachers were pushing back saying it is unfair 
for us to be evaluated in an assessment. We haven't uh, seen, there are no trend data. We don't really know how the assessment's going to work, um, but our professional careers hinge on this. And at first I was like, oh gosh, these folks are kicking it down the road. But I met with the teachers of the year every month and they were trusted advisors. And I said, unpack for me what you mean, delay this, because I'm getting, a sense, you know, that I have this sense of urgency for our kids. And they're like, we do too, but we've got to unpack the standards. We've got to build a curriculum. We've got to come up with the unit and lesson plans and know what the skills are. We're not saying that we don't believe in this work. We're all in. We're saying we need time. And so if I had only listened to them and walked away with my implicit biases around change, I would have said, oh my gosh, they're trying to kick it around the block. So hopefully it'll go away. But when I really took time to hear what they were saying, I supported them and asked for the delay and we eventually got it. They didn't want to not do the work. They wanted to do the work well. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I will take that away that listening is imperative. But I like also what you said, Lillian, about, you know, you have to hear them. It's not just mm -hmm. sitting in a room. It's also mm -hmm. hearing them. Um, mm -hmm. Let's move on to question three. What's the one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? Well, as, as you shared, I've had myriad experiences, but I've always walked into organizations that were intact organizations, be it a department chair, principal, a local superintendent, state superintendent, and we were being a little disruptive because when we looked at the data and we still saw gaps and we had tried and tried, um, we hearken that adage, the definition of insanity is to keep doing what we've always done and think we're going to get a different result. So what do we do to disrupt a little bit and move forward? So I've done that and I've done it with smart people like you and Joe. I, I've just been so blessed that way. But now in my perch at this nonprofit that is a research advocacy policy institution that is in supportive districts, the skill that I've got to learn is how to brand and sell what we do um, in ways that matter. And I think John King, who is um, former Secretary of um, Education in the Obama administration, is the CEO who brought me on because I had state and local and classroom experience so that when we brand what we do, we come at it from a practice lens. So we are always thinking in terms of how does this impact people in the field? What story are we telling? Is it honest? Is it fair? And will it move the agenda forward for children? That's awesome. Um, we actually, uh, this past year, we were on the a planning committee for professional development in the state of Delaware. And one of the things we brought in was a group to talk to principals about branding, because we think it's so important that we market the great things that we do in schools so that people know what's happening in the walls of the school buildings in their neighborhoods. And uh, we think that's, that's an incredible um, undertaking that educators just need that skill of branding. So we appreciate Be that. Because we do amazing work. People are out there every day doing amazing work. We are just not good at telling our stories. That's true. It's so true and we can get better at it. And, and the best news is that there are people out there who want to help us with it. So we just got to bring them in and make sure that we learn from them. So our fourth question, what's the one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that, that others might be able to replicate? 
So one of the things I have always been very intentional about is being in the field, because as you gentlemen know, the further one gets away from the classroom to the assistant principalship, to the principalship, to the district, um, we can lose sight of what reality is in those classrooms, the challenges that our students bring, the challenges that our educators have trying to nurture and support individually customized learning for all of our students. So one of the things that continues to support my growth as a leader is I always make it a point to be in schools, in classrooms, talking to the people on the ground who do the most salient work every day. And we have with us um, a woman by the name of Karen Chenoweth, C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T, and she's written a trilogy of books on school improvement. Her latest book, which is a bestseller on Amazon, is called Schools That Succeed. And what this book does is really um, focuses on the structure of schools that connect the people to the systems and the processes. And you guys have done that really well in, in Delaware because what we have to make sure that we do is look at how school leaders doggedly and patiently reorganize internal systems so that we prioritize teaching and learning, which will result in the outcomes that we want. So how do we use time? Um, how do we use money? And everyone knows how you spend your money really does determine your priorities. So I am really intentional about making sure that um, I continue to grow by continuing to listen to people who are coming up with creative ways of doing amazing work on behalf of students. Thank you. It sounds like you work with a very impressive group. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I, I always have, but these are kind of scary people. They're so smart. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. It's fun too. And we, you know, this whole idea of this is about energy enthusiasm. But when you work around people that are pushing every day, it does fuel you to, you know, professionally just to get after it. Um, and that's exciting. It's really exciting. It certainly is. All right. So our last question, and we we find this to be a powerful question. What's the one thing that you used to think? that you don't think anymore? So I will answer that. And I think the two of you experienced it with me at one point in time. Um, because we are educators and we intellectually understand what is needed for improvement, we talk to each other about it all the time. We understand it perfectly. So we think, I'll say I thought, that if we make a rational argument and present data, to people to, to, this is where we have been, this is where we are, this is where we want to go, they will understand that. We make this cogent um, case for change, they'll get it and they'll come on board. That's not true. Because um, trying to simplify what we do so that parents understand is a challenge. And, and as you said earlier, we're getting better at it and there are people out there who can help us. Um, one of the things that we challenged ourselves on when we were rolling out um, the new standards and assessments and, and some of the other things that we were doing um, to think about creative ways to improve teaching and learning um, is we had to pivot when people weren't understanding and think this is all about hearts and minds. And so 
when I go out to a group in the community, they don't want to hear me talking about common core state standards and these are the skills that your students need to have and know to be successful. They want very basic things answer. How will all of this change impact my child's life? And if I buy into what you're talking about, how will this make opportunities that my child will have path forward available to them, opportunities that I had or didn't have. And so I think the one thing that I used to think is intellectual conversation, even if we break it down into common language, um, is not what gets people to really get on board with the changes that we need to improve teaching and learning and academic success. We really have to go after hearts and minds and people have to know at their core, what does this mean for me and my child? So that was lesson learned, and that's kind of where I sit now when I talk about equity. Equity, what you define as equity in your life and for your family would be completely different from mine, but how do we talk about that so individually families know how they will be impacted and better served? That was fantastic, Lillian. Thank you so much. And, and it's, we always find it's amazing when we conduct these interviews, talk to individuals, a lot of what you shared, like it's about the hearts and minds and really getting to people's core. You know, this is really about just building connections with people. And it really is simple, um, but it just takes a lot of hard work and it really takes someone who truly cares. So um, we've always appreciated that about, about you and all the work that you've done and continue to do. Um, as we wrap up, do you have any questions or anything else you would like to add for our listeners? I'll, I'll just end with kind of what is the ultimate goal? And I think we are all there. And, and simply end by saying the attention that we place on the people that we lead each day is important because these are the people who are preparing our students to leave our schools able to find gainful employment, able to raise a family, and able to be a contributing member of society. If we keep that at the forefront of all that we do when we work with those that we lead, um, it will better serve them. And by better serving them, we better serve our students and their families. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Lowry. This has been incredible. Um, I know TJ and I have totally enjoyed this um, interview and, and connecting with you. It's been some time. Um, for our listeners, we just remind you to please follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for our blog, blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, um, all on the topic of leadership. We hope you've enjoyed our hashtag one thing series. And thank you, Dr. Lowry, again, for joining us tonight. Joe and TJ, I am so proud of you and this contribution that you're making to the field. I am honored to have spent time with you. You're welcome. Thank you so much.